0: Hi, this is Brian Tarrant with Significance Magazine, and I'm reporting today from RSS Conference in Belfast. I'm here with Darren Daly and Martin Van Schmeerden. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. And we're here today to talk about Stats Twitter. That's hashtag Stats Twitter. So you gave a talk uh, this morning, Tuesday, at conference. Um, What was it about? What were you discussing?
1: Yeah, so I think that uh, we both use Twitter quite a lot to discuss statistics, to discuss research. And part of the goal of the session was just to kind of discuss uh, how to get people to engage, uh, what are the kind of pros for them in terms of their career as a statistician, uh, what can statisticians contribute to kind of wider society by participating on social media, and then also acknowledging the kind of risks that people face uh, when they engage in social media and and how those can be disproportionately distributed uh, among statisticians who choose to engage. So are you... uh, um
0: veterans of Twitter, or has it been a recent discovery for you? What's your history with...
1: So I joined in, I want to say, 2010. So I've been there for a long time, uh, just kind of piddling along and slowly kind of picking up followers. But I've always been very interested in it. Uh, I was very interested in science blogging uh, when I got my first job in Leeds as a lecture and trying to use blogs to write about scientific papers and explain the statistics behind them. Uh, So very much from a statistics communication standpoint. And Twitter was a very natural complement to that. Uh, You'd write something in the blog and then you could go to Twitter and you could kind of tweet and advertise, essentially, and share what you had written. But then over time, and I'd say really in the past three years, uh, you see an influx, I think, of a lot of statisticians and scientists more broadly joining Twitter, getting involved. And so things have really taken off, not just in terms of the promotional tool, but now it's, I think it's very much a conversational tool uh, connecting people. So I think
2: I've been on there for a long time. Yeah, for me, it's uh, I'm, I'm probably part of that influx. Uh, three years ago, I started pro- approximately three years ago because of people like Darren, uh, we had a lot of interesting things to say. And uh, uh, the great thing about Studs Twitter, in my opinion, is that it's very inclusive. So I felt quite at home, even although I'm an early career researcher. Um, and I started participating, and it went
0: on from there. Yeah. So we should explain Stats Twitter, I think, for listeners, in case they're not on social media. I know many are. but um, So this would be any conversation tagged with the hashtag, hashtag Stats Twitter, right? I
1: yeah, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a more a broader idea. So people do use that particular hashtag but to be honest with you, not that often. Right, okay. So it's a more of a amorphous kind of a thing. It is a the loosely defined, you know, kind of community of people. And not just statisticians, but people who use statistics. And so Stats Twitter kind of gets a lot of overlap uh, with med- medical education, with the economists, with the epidemiologists, uh, other kind of groups that are on Twitter quite a lot and, and kind of operate in a similar way. You know, it's kind of non-hierarchical, non-organized you know, very kind of fluid conversations among experts. And Stats Twitter is just kind of one way to kind of put a name to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But people do use the hashtag, uh, and I do search it from time to time to see what conversations are happening, and it is useful in that way.
0: So I I share your history with Twitter, sort of mirrors a bit of my own, Darren. Um, when I first started using it, I don't know if it was around 2010, but it was on, I was on a different magazine and we were t- simply using it to promote articles. And seeing that change over time, for it to become more of a, a conversation platform, a question and answer platform, a, uh, a request for help platform, You know, people can use it in all kinds of different ways. So what was the sort of key message you were trying to get across to people today uh, about how to incorporate Twitter into their their daily lives or their professional lives?
1: Yeah, I think it's a, it, was kind of, it was kind of a double-edged thing where we want to promote people to get involved and to show them that lots of other people there, we're having discussions, we're making collaborations, we're learning from each other, there is benefit. But we also have to acknowledge the fact that social media participation for some people uh, can lead to all kinds of problems, getting kind of abusive messages, uh, kind of getting people, um, you know, being argumentative and wasting their time and things like that. So it's, it's, it doesn't come without risks. And so we'd like to kind of increase the number of people who aren't just lurking on Twitter, although they're always, of course, very welcome, but people who are also, you know, actively conversing and and whatnot. Um, But again, you can't really do that if uh, if people are gonna, you know, invite a hard time from strangers when they do it. So it's just trying to kind of raise awareness of some of these issues in some respects. So Mm -hmm. we're just trying to be welcoming. Uh, and let people know that we're, you know, that those of us who are there, lots of us are very cognizant of these things and that we want to make sure that it's a a nice place for everyone to come and chip in their two cents. And and sometimes you're wrong and sometimes you're right and nothing wrong with that. Uh, Just to kind of get that across, I guess.
0: And you did talk about uh, academic critique uh, on Twitter in your session today, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, And what's sort of the fuzzy area around the rules of this? Because I know that there's a kind of formal process you would normally go for to critique a published article. Twitter is a bit of a free-for-all. So what, what, uh, what are the, the tensions that exist there when you're talking about published work in that forum, especially when you're limited to so few characters and you know, getting a subtle point across might not be as easy as making a kind of, um, a bit more of a bullish point maybe. Yeah, no, fair enough. So point.
1: The, one, the one example that we gave was actually something Martin and I were both involved in, and it was a, uh, a paper that used a particular method Um, We didn't think that that was the appropriate use for that particular statistical model. Uh, Independently, uh, myself, Martin, and another statistician named Frank Harrell had written blog posts. And then we, you know, we kind of promoted those on Twitter. We saw each other's blog posts. We decided to get together and write a letter to the editor. And that letter was published, and then other people went on to follow up on our critique and some other data. And they were able to essentially confirm that our concerns about the first paper, not that it was done Uh, in any kind of fraudulent way it's just not the choices we would make they were able to confirm that Uh, but the frustration i think with the letters to the editor is that they often don't get published they take a long time to appear and they're not really a very corrective mechanism uh, to be fair and so the point you're picking up on i think is very true on twitter there are lots of very strong opinions in both ways i'm of the mindset that if you publish something it has the word public in it and that once you have made it public that you are open for public critique. And I don't see con- talking about papers on Twitter is anything different than if I do a journal club at the hospital or at the university. If we walk into a room together with eight strangers and we have a paper in hand and we want to discuss it, nobody would question us for that. Doing it online is all out in the open. Anyone can see the discussion. Anybody can rebut if they want to. And every once in a while you get these people like it's not fair, they're not on Twitter uh, to defend themselves. Well, they're not in the hospital you know, the, the the break room where we're talking about a paper, they're not in the auditorium or whatever either. So I don't really take those arguments very seriously myself.
0: And, and I suppose as well, as long as you're, you're keeping it professional in terms of, you know, it not being ad hominem attacks, you sure. know, you're critiquing the work rather than the individual behind the work. It's, you know, that's how the, the the normal course of academic debate should run.
1: I think so. But you do find, too, some some disagreements there. So. I think where I would, uh, you know, I've certainly crossed the line into ad hominem attacks in some respect based on some people's, you know, definition of what that would be. So questioning people's motives, for example, some people would call that an ad hominem attack. And so we've critiqued papers before, and I've critiqued papers. And I think what really sometimes gets my ire up a little bit, uh, is that the way to put that, Uh, something that really frustrates me is to see scientists using science and statistics uh, essentially to sell things that we are pretty sure don't actually benefit people and uh, again you can once you call into question people's then motivations i think you start to get some more pushback too it's not fair for you to critique this aspect of what we're doing uh not again i don't i don't buy that personally but it's an opinion
0: you. uh, martin uh, your, your experience you said you're a, a, a early career researcher correct um how do you uh, how have you approached twitter and how has it kind of integrated with your Professional life and helping you, you know, find contacts, find collaborators,
2: that sort of thing. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I started about three years ago when I when I ended my PhD and, and started as a, as a as a postdoc researcher. Um, it's a part of my, my my daily work, so to say. Um, when I do it, that depends. Sometimes it's in the train, and sometimes it's it's not uh, taken over my entire work. Um, I still write papers and that kind of stuff. Um, But I found a lot of collaborators uh, actually via Twitter. Uh, Darren is one uh, and I also have some other uh, people I've been invited to talks and that kind of stuff. So that's, it has been very uh, important actually to my uh, start of my my early career. Um, That said, um, we already talked about that uh, during the session too. Uh, There's of course the the time drain uh, problem and that's something you have to balance. I think I'm getting better at it, but it's... uh, it's
0: Time uh, drain being spending too much time scrolling through your your, your timeline. So uh, this was uh, uh, something that I uh, was afflicted by when I first got onto uh, Twitter in my previous job, and I would spend a good two hours in the morning just scrolling through trying to find anything interesting that people had talked about. Um, Do you have tips on how to a healthy Twitter life balance um, or <laughs> Twitter work balance, or is it just you know limiting it to a certain period of the day? How, how do you go about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't do as good of a job as I should. Uh, I do tend to start my day looking through Twitter. Um, I know that when I write something, one of the things that can sidetrack me on a day is if I write something kind of for public consumption, uh, I know on those days to be extra disciplined and to put Twitter away. Um, because watching the responses to what you've done is, uh, is very time consuming and pointless. It's gonna be there, you'll get your pats on the back and you'll get your criticisms the next day, but it can really derail uh, you know, your, the rest of your work day. Um, I do use filters, I try to use filters pretty liberally, and even then I still can't resist commenting uh, on political issues or uh, sometimes I wanna say things about economics, so, which I'm certainly not an expert in, uh, but I do try to kind of tamp that stuff down. Um, but yeah, but there is no easy solution. But I guess I take some solace in the fact that I think that the pros uh, ultimately justify a, a bit of extra
2: wasted time in the middle of the day. And Martin, do you have any advice on that front? Well, w- one of the approaches I take is um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to accept the fact that um, I'm, I'm missing out on, on, on certain things. Um, and um, I, I, I try to avoid, and I do avoid, uh, looking at Twitter during uh, my work workday, uh, most of it. So these are very simple approaches. Another simple approach is if you have limited time on a, on a particular day, you can make a, a so-called Twitter list with uh, a limited number of people. Um, so you, you really get the highlights of that limited number of people. It might be people that, that are retweeting also other people so you get a sort of the highlights of it so that's how i manage i cannot always follow uh, what all my 700 all the 750 people that i follow or something are saying but i can follow that 100 people uh, more easily so that's that's how i try to balance
0: uh, and obviously social media is much broader than just Twitter. Did you touch on any of the other sort of channels mm-hmm. that people could explore in, in the talk today?
2: Yeah, so we
1: raised like a number of things and how things have really kind of taken off. So the blogging is kind of where things really started, I think, uh, you know, with Internet 2.0. And all of a sudden we could put things online and share it quickly. And, you know, it didn't take ages to do and all the rest of it. And so blogging, I still think, is a really important uh, thing. And with with particularly for for like, you know, statisticians online, um, some of the blogs in particular, Deborah Mayo's and Andrew Gelman's, their comment sections are really rich sources of information and debate. And you have, you know, threads there. You will have, you know, 200 comments sometimes and you scroll through and you recognize half the names and you're kind of amazed at how they were able to get this kind of engagement. Um, there's another really good one that was started by Frank Harrell recently, which is a discuss-based message board uh, called datamethods.org. And in a very short period of time, a lot of people involved in medical research, public health research, uh, statisticians, clinicians, investigators, epidemiologists, have all really been contributing to that quite a lot and engaging. And we're kind of compiling like a, like a, a colleague of ours. I call him a colleague. I've never met him in real life. Andrew Althaus, uh, for example, has a thread on there about Uh, collecting uh, references for when you want to rebut a particular statistical flaw in a paper that you might review that we see over and over again. This kind of useful thing happening. Um, You're also seeing one thing with Twitter, and something that Martin really illustrated nicely, um, was it's become so much better at multimedia. So now you can embed a short video, obviously pictures and things like that. So there's, you know, there's so much more flexibility in communicating. Um, there are the question and answer sites like Stack Overflow and Cross Validated where people can go ask their questions, do a good job of asking a good question, and you'll get experts commenting, discussing, and everything else. Um, podcasts have really kind of taken off, and there's a couple of notable ones in terms of statistics and kind of science reform. Um, and I, Was there anything else that I'd, I'd picked up on? I think that was most of it. One other thing was that I'd um, I've done some work with a patient advocacy group around melanoma, and they use Facebook. I don't use Facebook for really anything. They use Facebook very effectively uh, for this patient community, and so then they can ask questions, and if it's something I can actually help with, then I can answer. You know, so you just see it. You see, you know, you see it everywhere.
0: Excellent. I wonder if if we'll see the same sort of generational trends with. Um, statistic social media as we do with more general social media where obviously uh, younger people are not going on Twitter and Facebook now they're sort of exploring Instagram stories and Snapchat and very Or I think Snapchat might well be out of fashion now right. it happens that quickly so it'd be interesting to see how it develops in the future but in the meantime if people are already on social media or they want to start getting into social media do you have uh websites resources or anything that they could look at to uh, get up to speed quickly on who to follow and Things like that.
1: Well, I think the first step is just to get on Twitter and you know, if you it's so nice for searching. So if you were to search the Stats Twitter hashtag, you'd come up with a number of people right off the bat. And I think most people are quite help you know, quite happy to point you in whatever directions. And I think there's probably about, you know, a hundred people at this point who have written blog posts about uh, the use of social media for scientists and here's where you get started. So actually getting on Twitter, like Twitter is so good at with in terms of content discovery. You get on there, you ask the question, you'll find out pretty quickly exactly what, you know, what people think. But
0: well, obviously, first things first would be to follow you, Darren, at? Oh, Stats statsepi, Stats Epi. And Martin?
2: At Martin V. That's okay. it.
0: excellent. Well, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll get a few new followers oh, out yep. of chatting to us today. But thank you for your time, and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the conference.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Brian. That was great. Thank you.